very good morning to everyone here today and also those who are streaming online. As you can see on the screen, the topic of my sermon this morning is don't take yourself too seriously. So for those who have attended the Bible study earlier would have probably guessed how this topic came about. So because in our Bible study earlier, we look at the um, unity in the church, how we, despite being different in many ways, uh, our background, our jobs, our education, our upbringing, our talents, etc., we are all different, but we are told to be uh, one body in Christ. And the verse uh, that we looked at, uh, for those who didn't attend, um, the verse that we looked at before was Romans chapter 12, verse 5, which says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And then we look at some ways that how that unity can be damaged. Um, and one of those ways is arrogance, which is uh, also the context of uh, this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It seems that uh, at the time people were thinking too much of themselves or too highly of themselves than they ought to think, and probably due to the gifts that they have, um, which we can see before verse 5. So Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to verse 4 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So perhaps because of the gifts um, that person uh, was blessed with, he thought he was more important uh, than the others. But Paul is saying here, nope, don't think too highly of yourself, but use your gifts to help one another and do it generously. And that's a theme that we're going to be look at that we're looking at this morning, which is ego or pride. And we'll look at some examples of how that will play out, um, and this and the destructive consequences it has, and then lastly how to overcome it. But first, let's define ego. What is ego? So we are not going to talk ego in that sense, the Freudian sense. So if you don't know who that is, that's the father of modern uh, psychology, Sigmund Freud. So he likes to explain ego uh, by way of analogy. And you can see in the graph on the left, so his definition of ego is likened to a rider on a horse with our unconscious drives uh, representing the horse while the ego tries to direct them. And that's not the ego that we'll be talking about today. The ego we're talking about today is the unhealthy belief in our own importance or arrogance. So, or the need to be better than or to be recognized for, or to be more than, so and so. So the ego that seeks to protect and promote our self-image at all costs, and that's the ego that we'll be talking about today. Now, let me be clear, I'm not saying that we should view ourselves as of no importance. That's not the case at all. We know that we are all important, every soul is important, because we know that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became man, to shed his blood for us, to die for us. So rest assured, we are all important, just not in the way that the world thinks or defines as important. So we shouldn't self-inflate our own importance and think that we are more important than others. Now, where do egos stem from? I'm no psychologist, but uh, here's my two cents. So it could stem from the image you want to show others or the image you want to project others. You want to look good in front of other people or to be respected. It could um, stem from insecurities, your position um, in social status or 
uh, workplace might be threatened, or you're afraid that you'll be left behind uh, losing to others, or you're afraid that people might see your flaws or see your weaknesses and you don't want to be exposed. It could also stem from discontentment. So it might be because you were constantly comparing with other people. Um, I work harder than others. Why are all the opportunities given to them and not to me? Or jealousy or covetousness. So my neighbor has a new sports car. Now come to think of it, my Mazda 6 looks a bit old and dated. I probably need a new car too. Um, and then, so now we're going to look at some examples of how ego plays out. Now, I'll list a few examples here, um, and the first one will be on image. So, do you know someone at work uh, who tries to withhold information or make it, uh, make it so that people will have to come to him to ask for information uh, and depend on him to do things? So, I've heard of this example from a colleague at his previous workplace where the guy, a smart guy, wrote a whole VBA code to automate all the processes on the report. And um, so VBA means Visual Basic Application, so it's mainly used in Excel, and it can be a powerful tool if you know how to use it. I don't. Um, but that smart guy do. And if somebody needs something done, or need to change something at the back end, he'll be defensive, and he'll hawk the work and make the changes himself, probably because he's scared that people will copy um, his genius work. Then there's one time he went on leave, and the, teams, uh, the team needs to make a change, but they couldn't because he's away. And the reason why they couldn't make the change is because he password protected it, so that people have to come to him and beg him to update the workbook. And then eventually he left the company, and password's still protected. <laughs> and then they have to get someone from IT to unprotect it. I don't know how they do that. If you know, please let me know. Um, so now, can you imagine the frustration that the team has? Every time they need to make a change, they have to go through him. And if he's not around, they can't do anything. And he's probably thinking and telling his friends, I'm so important at work, my team has to rely on me, they can't survive without me, I have to work over the weekends to uh, solve this problem for them. And sometimes, we might fall into this trap. The more people who depend on us, the more powerful we feel. But slowly, we, become, we can become a prisoner of the circumstances that we create. So imagine if the, he's the only one in the entire office who knows how to change that report. And all the opportunities won't go to him because, um, but we go to the one that who can build the team up, who knows how to share knowledge and upskill others, but he'll be stuck there doing the report because only he can do it. And we also know the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 4, I'll read to you. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After, and after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So the asset was theirs. The proceeds was theirs too. It was theirs to give. If they do not want to give, don't give. Why lie? Perhaps because they want to look good in front of other people. Because in the verses before, in the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 4, it says, For all who were possessors of lands, or houses sold them, 
brought uh, the proceeds and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And the scripture later on uh, specifically named Barnabas. Um, so perhaps they don't want to look bad because uh, everybody else is doing it. They want to look as if, as though they were generous. And perhaps we fall into this trap as well. We want to be seen as great to others, uh, as the good guy in the room, but we are less concerned with actual kindness than with exuding the appearance of kindness. And then when someone steps on how we see ourselves or how we would like to be seen, our ego leaps into action and we often react without reasoning or do foolish things. And we know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They both breathed their last. So what's the consequences of ego in these two examples? The trust was broken. People can't really trust you because they know that you're not genuine about the common goal, be working together as a team at work or at church. Let's now look at the next example, ego that stems from insecurities. And the one that comes to my mind is the account of King Saul. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5 to verse 12, I'll read to you. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So it's interesting to see how the ego in Saul plays out. Saul was clearly jealous of David, how he was getting more and more popular among the people. The women were singing, dancing, and comparing Saul and David. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten, his ten thousands. And in all fairness, Saul did well. He slayed uh, thousands. It's not like he's useless. But the problem is that, the, uh, it's the next part about David, ten thousands. So a lot more than Saul. And that makes Saul very angry because his ego was bruised. His position was threatened and uh, he knows it. In verse 12, it says that Paul was afraid, oh, sorry, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord had departed from Saul and is now with David. And because of his bruised ego, he tries to kill David. His mind was so full of insecurities and he can't cope with it and he eyed David from that day onwards. And he cast the spear and tried to pin him down. And, but luckily, David escaped. And we know that it was because of Saul's disobedience that caused uh, his position as king. It wasn't David's fault. It wasn't David that caused him to lose his kingship. Right from chapter 15 of uh, 1 Samuel, we can read that uh, God took Saul's kingship away from him in verse 28. 
So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So Saul's uh, position was threatened. Not only God had taken his kingship away, the people were also rooting for David. And his bruised ego caused him to do the unspeakable, and he tried to kill David multiple times. And in a less dramatic fashion, sometimes we make a mistake and somebody points it out. I tried to put a mistake in the word mistake, but my OCD wouldn't allow it. Um, yeah, so it can be very hard to swallow, especially when it's done in front of others. And we might get defensive and argue why what we said 10 years ago was correct, instead of accepting that we could be wrong and ascertain what is the truth, especially when a public statement has been made. That's why you can see people, or uh, be it politician or author uh, or researcher who has made a claim and somebody pointed out a mistake and then they just try to justify how it is correct, even when it's not. So what are the consequences of these two examples? On Saul's example, uh, we can see that Saul's bruised ego caused him to do the unspeakable. He wasn't thinking straight. If you know that David has God on his side, why would you try to kill him? That's why ego and power can be a powerful combo. And on the second example, we can learn that ego can be in the way of learning the truth or what is right or even another perspective that you probably haven't thought of. So when somebody points out a mistake in our work, instead of trying, um, uh, instead of trying to understand the truth, we become defensive and we try to dismiss others, thereby doubling down on what could be wrong. So how we handle mistakes ties in with our ego as well. If we are easily insulted, our ego easily bruised, we probably won't take feedback well, and we won't learn and grow over time. Now the third one, discontentment. So I'll tell you a true story uh, about a guy called Benedict Arnold. He's an American general during the Revolutionary War. So Major General Benedict Arnold was one of the best, if not the best, battlefield commanders the American army during that time. He has always found himself at the forefront of many of the war's uh, early heroic moments. He rose in the ranks from colonel to major general, but, he's, uh, but he, his rise was slower than he deserved, or so he thought. So he assisted in the capture of Fort Ticonderoga and Lake Camplin in 1775. He slowed down an invading British army from Canada at uh, Valku Island in 1776 and resisted an enemy raiding party at Richfield, uh, Connecticut, earning a strategic victory for the Patriots in the spring of 1777. And later that year, he valiantly led troops at the battles of Saratoga and successfully delivered the knockout blow against the British General John uh, Burgon's army. But on multiple occasions, Benedict Arnold uh, received little to no recognition of his heroism and contribution. Instead, he watches others with less experience and others with uh, less capability than him constantly getting promoted instead of him. And this made him very jealous and dissatisfied with his social standing. He would frequently complain about Congress promoting younger, less competent officers ahead of him. And he was quick to react to uh, social slides, both real and imagined. He had been an accomplished military officer, but he wasn't very well liked. 
He had a tendency to prove his superiority by humiliating people with whom he disagreed and created an invisible army uh, of enemies. However, he managed to earn the confidence of George Washington, who appointed him as military governor of Philadelphia. And around this time, he sought the hand of Peggy Shippen, Shippen the daughter of a wealthy Philadelphia family. So the Shippens were loyalist sympathizers interested in making connections only with similarly wealthy people. But Arnold, on the other hand, he was not wealthy. His alcoholic father had squandered the family fortune when he was young. And ever since, Arnold had been trying to re-establish his family um, pos uh, position in society. And perhaps to overcompensate, he lived extravagantly, throwing lavish parties with the hope of earning the respect of uh, Philadelphia's wealthy elite. So he promised the Shippens that he would, give, uh, he would bestow uh, on Peggy a large sum in advance of their wedding as proof of his financial means. So he took out the large mortgage to purchase a mansion. When Arnold and Peggy were finally married, Arnold was already deep uh, in debt. He and Peggy couldn't even stay in the mansion that he bought because he needed to rent it out um, to pay the mortgage. And that lifestyle also caught the attention of many enemies, including Supreme Executive Counsel Joseph Reed. And he built a case against Arnold with the intention of disgracing him publicly. publicly. But it turned out Arnold had been uh, using his position as military governor to benefit himself financially. Eventually, his case was brought uh, before a court-martial, but Washington only gave him uh, only a light reprimand. Yet Arnold felt that Washington, supposed to be his closest ally, had betrayed him. And a short while later, he would go on and betray his country in exchange for £20,000 and a British military command he agreed to give the British control of the fort at West Point, which he requested uh, Washington to give him the post. And eventually, the Americans found out about the betrayal and along with it, his reputation and the trust of George Washington. So Arnold was quite an accomplished military officer. His talents were recognized um, by George Washington and others, but he was unhappy with how slow he was getting promoted. Compared to others who are younger and less capable, perhaps in his own mind, perhaps it's true, but his pride had been wounded. He wanted to show others his value and his importance. And when they didn't, he stopped exercising judgment and ended up going down in history for all the wrong reasons. And he was the one that gave them all the reasons to ruin his reputation. Had he been contented with his post from getting promoted from colonel to major general and also be contented with his relationship with George Washington, a powerful man instead of trying to, uh, trying to get the respect of the, the wealthy people around that area? And if he was contented with his financial means and not trying to be portraying to be someone he's not, he probably wouldn't get himself into this irreversible mistake. His lack of judgment had the opposite effect of what he always wanted, which is to be respected, to have a social standing. Now, that's easier said than done. Who hasn't found himself in a similar situation? Someone close to you or maybe your manager doesn't appreciate you the way you want to be appreciated. Perhaps they don't see how insightful you are or uh, how much you do for them and desperate to satisfy, satisfy that ego, you might be thinking of doing things that you shouldn't, whether in the workplace or personal life. 
One prime example might be when you stop putting in 100% of what you're capable of because you feel underappreciated. If Arnold hadn't been so consumed by ego, if he had reacted less and reasoned more, he might have seen that his long-term political objectives and his family well-being demanded a more modest way of life. And I hope these examples help us understand the destructive nature of ego and pride. It can cause problems in our relationships with one another. Where we, when we put our interests above others, it often leads to resentment and conflict and the trust broken. It can also lead to isolation like Arnold. And worst of all, it will lead to spiritual distance from God. Let's read James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. With all the examples that we looked at this morning, what's the common pattern? The common pattern is they are all seeking what's best for themselves, their own, uh, the best interest for them, their image, their social standing, respect. So, how do we, uh, so what do we have to do to overcome ego or pride? The first one I have is prayer. Prayer is a powerful tool. We need to pray for strength to put others first and not to fall into the temptation of inflating our own importance. And we need to ask God for strength to let go of our ego. The second is self-reflection. And perhaps the hardest part uh, to, is to know that you are falling into the trap of ego. And sometimes, even if you know, it's probably hard to get out of that mental spiral. But we need to regularly check in with ourselves and understand our motivations, question our assumptions, and um, understand how we react to things that are happening to us. For example, when someone insults you, what's your reaction? And how do you control it? That ties in probably with the third one, so, which is to create space. So when you feel the ego rising, or, or for example, when somebody insulted you, you feel angry because your ego is bruised. Pause. Recognize that you don't have to react to every single stimuli. You can emotionally step out, and if you can't do that, physically step out. Walk away, walk outside the room if you need to, and breathe. The goal is to create space to think soberly. In this example, you can ask yourself to re and rationalize with yourself, if I react out of my emotion, would I achieve my goal? How would others see me? Would it be Christ-like? Why am I angry? Is the insult true? If it's true, then probably I need to reflect and change. If it's not true, then why bother? The thing is to remember to process the emotions and not just to bottle up like we discussed in the Bible study earlier. Because if you start fantasizing a revenge plot in your head, even during quiet times, you need to go to speak to that brother or sister who has sinned against you because that unresolved anger can make things worse down the line. So the goal here is to create space, pause, allow yourself to think soberly and not to react upon emotions or any stimuli. Just like the verse that we look at earlier, Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of, them, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dwelt um, to each one a measure of faith. And then the next step is to replace. We can't just say, all right, don't think about my ego, and that's switched off. It won't uh, just go away like that. It won't just disappear. We need to replace it with something. 
And what I come up with is uh, to replace ego with humility and love, uh, which we have looked at earlier during Bible study. So we need to transform uh, by renewing our mind and not to be conformed to the world. The world is telling us success and social status is important. You need to show who's the boss. You need to claim the credit before others do so that you can get promoted, so on and so forth. But the Bible is telling us not to conform to such worldly wisdom, but renew our minds so that we can prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to, the world, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's not going to be easy. We need to replace our urge to be right, our urge to feel right, to feel recognized, etc., with something that is better, something that is good, something that is acceptable, because God told us to. We need to let go of ego, and it is hard. And remember, we are told to submit to God. And James 4, verse 7, right after the verse that we looked at earlier on how God resists the proud, he went on and said, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first replacement, we need to replace our mindset with humility. And to do that, we need to seek the interests of others. Remember the examples that we looked at earlier? All of them were seeking the best interests for themselves. But the Bible teaches us to look out for one another, to esteem others better than ourselves. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to verse 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So instead of asking how great you are, ask yourself, how can I help this person with the talents that I've um, been blessed with? And the next replacement is to replace our emotions with love. We looked at this before in our, um, during our Bible study, Paul says in verse 25 and 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which reads, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one, members, uh, if, and if one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And Paul continues on at the end of chapter 12 and says in relation to gifts, he said, I can show you a more excellent way. And that's where he continued on, um, on chapter 13 about love. Because the best and greatest gift that a man can have is to love. Love one another, bear the burdens of one another because you care. And when one member suffers, suffer with them. When one member is honoured, rejoice with them. Don't be jealous of their success, but rather rejoice with them. Um, we also need to remember the example of Jesus. And we'll close off shortly. So let us read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8. And the previous verse um, tells us to look out for the interests of others as well. But let's read verse 5 to verse 8. Let this mind um, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of cross. So even when Jesus was brought uh, to Herod in Luke chapter 23, um, getting handballed from Pilate to Herod, back to Pilate, 
So before his final trial with Pilate, Herod was excited to finally see who this Jesus is because he had heard many things about uh, him and hoped to see some miracle. And Herod asked Jesus about many things, but Jesus answered nothing. And then the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus. Um, and then Herod and his men treated him with contempt and mocked him. Jesus could have easily given a sign of miracle to prove that he is a man that Herod was uh, wishing and hoping and excited to see, or even to stop them from mocking him. And also even before his death, when Jesus was on the cross, the people who walked past the scribes and elders were all mocking him, the soldiers included, and said, if he were the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. But he didn't give in. It is not that he can't save himself, but he chose not to. And the reason is because he loves us and he wants us to be saved. He wanted to fulfill God's will. So let us likewise be like Jesus, to humble ourselves and to obey God, and because it is not our will but God's will that we need to submit to. And love our brothers and sisters in Christ and esteem one another's interests above ours, and not to take ourselves too seriously. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for your kind attention. Let us now stand as we sing the song of invitation.